0: Flames are pouring from the buildings now. There's cars
1: toppled. Buildings entire, just and just crushed and crumbled. I'm not sure if it's safe to report from my vantage point. I I really need to leave. So the defense informed me that the surrounding areas are, are in ruin. I I see some people running now. And the opinion of this reporter, if
0: this nation or in fact the world ever needed heroes, that time is now. That time is now. Fire and Water Podcast, the official podcast of Aquaman com and FirestormFan.com. I'm one of your hosts, the Iridium Mobile Shag from Firestorm Fan. Along with me, as always, is my co host, the irregular Rob Kelly from Aquaman Shrine. Good morning or good afternoon.
1: <laughs> good afternoon. Um, do you think that, uh, that the Sea Samples on iTunes is right and says that uh, we, uh, we, we have very little chemistry here on the show? <laughs>
0: I did see that one review. Um, <laughs> it's been bugging me all week. <laughs> that we don't have a lot of chemistry?
1: <laughs> so, some occasional sloppy delivery, which, all right, I cop to that. And very little chemistry, but ultimately a good show for the content being discussed. I don't think that's true at all. Well,
0: I, I would agree that we have no romantic chemistry. I'll give him that. Um, but I think we have a, a very nice set of you know volatile, explosive chemistry. <laughs> yeah,
1: I, I don't agree, C-Sample. So, you know, okay. So take your four stars and stuff it.
0: Do, do you really want to start the show with that? I do. <laughs> I absolutely do. Okay.
1: <laughs> Hi, everybody. See chemistry. <laughs>
0: All right, breaking folks, bad are, up in here. We are we are back, and uh, the sun is out. We're recording during the day. Woo! We're, we're no wide awake. Lo- Rob doesn't have to whisper into his microphone. <laughs> no
1: longer a mole person.
0: Exactly. So, folks, uh, we are going to do something a little different this week. Um, we're
1: gonna, <laughs> yeah. Go he ahead. Go the give, give them the title.
0: Uh, geek Talk? Yeah, yeah.
1: Oh, wow. What a difference. From all the We've other... done a
0: couple of episodes. No, what I'm just saying,
1: every episode is... The damn oh, show see. is about Aquaman and Firestorm. <laughs> it's inherently Geek Talk, Shag. This is nothing new.
0: <laughs> you make a good point. You make a good point. So rather than being specific about Aquaman and Firestorm this week, we're going to talk about... Quite frankly, whatever we want to talk about. Primarily, though, it's in the realm of comic books. So we've got a couple things we're going to touch on, um, and we're, we're just going to kind of have some fun, and hopefully you'll enjoy the podcast as well. Our previous episodes of Geek Talk uh, have received some of the most amounts of feedback, and uh, you guys really seem to get into other topics, because, you know, it may come as a shock, but Rob and I do do other things than read Aquaman comic books and Firestorm comic books. We also watch cartoons. That's right. <laughs> Well, first thing is, Rob, I got to tell you, uh, I am super, super, super stoked. I am going to a Doctor Who convention. Nerd! I, <laughs> I love how in the hierarchy of nerds, like <laughs> there's like comic book people and sci fi people. Doctor Who, for some reason, is below that. There are I don't so few
1: people that comic book fans can look down upon. So you got to get <laughs> Doctor hey. Who fans is like one of those groups.
0: The good news is, all of us get to look down on furries. So, yeah, okay,
1: well, that, yeah,
0: all right. <laughs> so, I was trying to explain it to somebody at work the other day. It's like, no matter how nerdy you are, at least you're not a furry. <laughs> <laughs> and some furry on our podcast just turned it off. So, anyway. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm going to a Doctor Who. You know, by the way, Doctor Who, just so you know, A, it's the longest running science fiction television series ever. It's been around 50 years. It's also one of the top rated television shows in the world. Thank you very much. Take that. Survivor or whatever show people Apprentice that people watch nowadays. Um, I'm just saying, people make fun of Doctor Who, but a lot of people watch it. So anyway, there, there's this huge convention out in Los Angeles every year uh, called Gallifrey. Gallifrey 1. And I've always wanted to go. It's been around like 20 years or something, and I've, I've never really I haven't been able to come up with a good enough reason to, to go. Like, wow, that's a lot of money to go from Florida out to LA in you know, a hotel and all this stuff. Especially when I go to Dragon Con every year. So this year, um, you, know, you may recall, I, I turned 40, and, my pres- and one of my presents to myself was jumping out of a perfectly good working airplane um, and, and survived. And the other is I'm going to Gallifrey One. Also, since it's the 50th anniversary of Doctor Who, I figured, you know what, this is the year to go. So I'm going to the convention. So excited. I got my tickets, got my hotel, now, all this jazz. Uh-huh. Now,
1: now, when you take the plane from Florida to California, you're you're going to land, right? You're not jumping out of the plane to get to the Correct. Time? Okay. I do,
0: I do intend to stay in the plane the Until entire time. Until they
1: land the whole time. All right. I'm just being yes. clear. Okay.
0: It's not like the Great Muppet Caper where I'm getting you know the discount rate and I'm just going to leap out of the plane instead of landing.
1: <laughs> the pursuit of DB C-
0: it's right, exactly. Uh, so some of the actors from the show are going to be there. The, the main actors who played the Doctor won't be there. Well, one of them will. Like the seventh Doctor, Sylvester McCoy, will be there, but um, not the recent show. But they are going to have some of the companions, Guy Corey. Was that a cash register? That was
1: – you know,
0: <laughs> I you try, try so hard. Did work just, and I you just so did a transaction or have something?
1: To, I, I, it's getting to the point now where I have to clear the entire house out of everyone to keep the sign. <laughs> I put my keys off to the side. On, on, uh, as Tracy just pointed out, on my cat shelf, and the cat decided to jump onto the shelf as I'm recording and hits the keys, which does, yes, sound like a cash register. So <laughs> uh, if you don't mind, I will move my keys and we will uh, we will continue on with the show.
0: Now you see why we get the sloppy delivery, right? I guess
1: yes. Well, I, again, <laughs> I, I I cop to the sloppy delivery. I don't cop to the chemistry.
0: You know, it's like uh, it's like homestyle cooking tastes better than you know manufactured cooking. So, so we're we're homestyle podcasting. So anyway, so uh, a guy who plays Rory Williams from the current series is going to be there, and Martha Jones, and they got tons and tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of other people. If uh, Siskoid saw the guest list, he would just jaw would drop. So anyway um, Is Amy
1: Pond going to be
0: there? No oh, Man okay. I wish Wolf okay. Karen Gilliam is beautiful Oh I meant
1: to say uh, that I, I confused I meant to say her The actress
0: I know But uh, I, I I was thinking You didn't think that These people were real But you did just Identify yourself As a partial nerd Knowing the character So <laughs> So uh, Anyway It's going to be in LA I'm just very excited about it I've always wanted to go to this thing And I just can't wait Now you know Len Wein And Marv Wolfman Are going to be there too that's,
1: that's a, that's a, now why are they there? Like, are they there as guests?
0: Yeah, why? they're there as guests. Why are I they don't. There? Well, I mean, there's, there's always going to be some bleed through in any science sure. fiction convention. You know, like, they're, yeah, I really can't defend it. Um, I mean, it's great. It's, I'm not knocking it. Yeah.
1: It's great. Those are great guys. I'm just, it's just interesting because I couldn't. I can't think of a connection to Doctor Who that they might have, but yeah, there's always, as you said, there's always some bleed in these
0: things. Yeah, well, there there are some other comic creators because there are Doctor Who comic books sure. over the years. And me being selfish, my my kind of hope is that like all the Doctor Who nerds are going to talk to other people and ignore Len Wein and Marv Wolfman, and I can have them to myself.
1: <laughs> I'm sure it's if Len fi- and Marv heard this, that's not troubling at all.
0: <laughs> yes, it's good for a nerd to dream. So uh, anyway, it's a. Uh, Really exciting. Hey, you know what? Listeners, if any of you guys are going to Outpost Gallifrey, drop us a note. Let me know because um, it would be cool to just say, hey, something like that. When are the you dates
1: know? of this uh, show?
0: <clears throat> you had to bring that up, didn't you? I did. <laughs> yes, uh, it's February 15th through the 17th. <laughs> so, yes, I am traveling because L.A. to Tallahassee takes a long time. You've got to get all
1: those gators the... off the tarmac.
0: Exactly. i got to get the gators off the tarmac and it's uh <clears throat> yes i am leaving on february 14th
1: <laughs> mrs shag is a very understanding woman that she's allowing you to go to a comic convention on valentine's day
0: that is doctor Who convention actually oh, that's that's sorry. the other big reason i forgot that i never go is that you know i'm not going to miss valentine's day so because i'm such a player that was for daniel cynical adams by the way anyway and so yeah so the one-time shot. Not going to get to go again, probably. Can I
1: can I take a knock at the Doctor Who fans and say that's why they schedule it around Valentine's Day because they assume most con attendees are not going to have to worry about. having <laughs> Oh having
0: my time. God! <laughs> <laughs> all right, all you Doctor gonna, who...
1: When are we going to schedule the Doctor Who con? Let's see: Valentine's Day, New Year's Eve, uh, maybe around <laughs> prom time.
0: <laughs> all right, Doctor Who fans, let's all take up knives and go after the happy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> You're going to attach, attack me with your
0: sonic s- screwdrivers and jelly babies. Big long yeah.
1: trench coats and, and scarves and all kinds of stuff.
0: I hate you so much. You like Aquaman. Look at you up on your high horse, Aquaman guy. It's my high seahorse, thank you very much. Okay, You're, okay. seriously. I mean, come on. S- sitting on your pedestal made up of the broken bones of Aquaman, Phantom Stranger, and MASH. I mean, come on. Really? Because you can throw you can cast stones, mister.
1: Just wait till I launch Aqua Phantom Stranger MASHCon twenty thirteen. It's coming.
0: <laughs> I'm sure all six of you will enjoy that.
1: <laughs> it's gonna be me and Russell. That's
0: it. <laughs> <sighs> that felt good. <clears throat> okay. So um other, I, something else I want to talk about too, by the way. Uh, unrelated to Doctor Who, thankfully, for those of you in the audience, like, oh, thank God he showed
1: up. About Who. <laughs> Enough about the Doctor Who. Uh,
0: there is a wonderful opportunity for you listeners to help support a Kickstarter program that I think, and Rob thinks, and anyone who's a fan of Aquaman or Firestorm or Spider Man or anything else should think is a wonderful, worthwhile cause. Uh, it is the Off the Record DVD interview with Jerry Conway. This is a three to four hour, three and a half hour, three and a half hour interview, video interview that was done with the man, Mr. Jerry Conway himself.
1: Yay!
0: Yes. Roger Prieb did this. Roger is a, a match head who's put together some conventions and stuff. And he ha- did this interview with Jerry again,
1: three and a half hours. That's a long interview.
0: They talk about everything. I actually, I've, I've, he was Roger was kind enough. Um, to, get, to help me, to get me to help support the event, he sent me like one hour of it, and I watched it. And oh my gosh, it's great! Jerry talks about how he gets into comics. He tells stories about people. He's, he's talking about Roy Thomas at one point, like why Roy Thomas didn't want to write a certain book. It's like, well, he wanted to write JSA, but he's stuck in Marvel, you know. Um, lots of great stories. Talks about Gwen Stacy, and you know, he's in you know, later hours. He's gonna he's gonna talk about Firestorm and Justice League and all these. Great bits he's a great interview
1: I, he's a great i, I interviewed him in, i think twice now he's he's a real and you've of course interviewed him he's great he's a great storyteller and and uh, you know not only has interesting stories it tells <laughs> interesting stories to tell but then tells them well as, uh, as, as well
0: <laughs> you make a good like point. myself <laughs> I, th- I I've interviewed him i think three times now Oh, well well, well, I'm getting to a point though um no chemistry. and Yet, I, the interview, I still heard tons of stuff I'd never heard, and I was totally riveted, you know? Yeah. So it's a great thing. It's over on Kickstarter. Go out to Kickstarter. Uh, it's off the record DVD interview with Jerry Conway. We'll have a, a link in the show notes. It's also uh, – you can find a link off of Firestorm Fan in a recent post. There's, it's out there. You'll find it. Just Or just go to Kickstarter and search for Jerry Conway. I'm sure it will come up. Anyway – um, they're only trying to raise $2,000. That's all they're trying to raise. It's, and that's basically just enough to print the DVDs. He's, this is not a huge money-making venture for Roger. This is to get him out there, print them, and get them in people's hands. And he's got, uh, at the, by the time this goes up, he'll have uh, 13 days left to raise the funds. He's more than halfway there, but he needs some help. And, folks, again, if you like Firestorm, then you have to be a fan of Jerry Conway, even if you haven't read the original stuff. I mean, all of this is because of him. You know, He got us there. He created the Punisher. He wrote the first Spider-Man versus Superman. He killed Gwen Stacy, and we're all thankful for that. He wrote wrote wonderful years of Spider-Man. He wrote ten years of Justice League. Ten years
1: of Justice League. He gave us vibe. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) I can't believe you. It's like, when's he going to get to that? Well, maybe I well I
0: didn't bring that up for a reason. I thought that might make someone hold their dollars back. (laughs) Anyway, Um, you can go out there. You can pledge as little as one dollar. Okay, so and if you pledge more, there's certain rewards you get. You can get a copy of the DVD. You can get special. You know, you can get artist sketches, all kinds of stuff. There's lots of different reward levels. So, um, you know, please help. Consider it. Uh, again, there will be a link in the show notes, off-the-record DVD interview with Jerry Conway. I think it's a great venture, and I can't wait to see it. And if he doesn't reach his goal of $2,000, then I don't know that I'm going to get to see it, and I'm going to go to all of y'all's houses and beat you up.
1: I'm sure he'll get to that. I'm sure he
0: will. With these people's help.
1: Yes, absolutely. All
0: right, Rob, what you got?
1: Well, like I said, we had a whole bunch of like topics that we wanted to cover uh, for this episode, and one of the ones we, we, we've been talking about for a while and we haven't gotten around to was uh, I guess we, we just called great runs, which is, you know, some section of a particular book that was particularly inspired. That maybe not everybody knows about, or just you know is not as, you know, not as well known. Maybe stuff that wasn't as collect, collected into a trade. I mean, you know, you know everybody knows like the Alan Moore Swamp Thing stuff. Everybody knows that's great because it was collect. You know, it's it's been in print forever. Or, you know, the Dark Knight Returns, or Batman Year One, or Watchmen. I'm talking about. We were we wanted to cover stuff that was a little more on the obscure side. Um, so I had a whole bunch of things that I wanted to kind of mention. Did you want to mention anything first, Shag, or did you want me to um,
0: no, I'll wait till you go. I've got one or two, um, you know, because most of my stuff is like, uh, well, I'm going to do more in the second segment, so you, okay. you go, and I'll add a couple.
1: All right, I mean, most of the stuff that I wanted to mention is, you know, my, my formative years in terms of reading comics was the 80s, because that's when I was a young teen and a teenager. Uh, in the 70s, I was, you know, still, still a wee little kid. Um. So, you know, my comic reading was was fairly limited. It was the 80s where, you know, comic shops exploded and I had more money to spend in in lieu of, you know, girls and stuff. I had money to spend on comics. Um, So that was, I look at the list that I have in front of me and most of the the, the runs that I'm going to mention are are from that era. So so I sort of apologize for focusing so heavily on this one time period, but that's sort of the way it shook out. Uh, One of my favorite runs of any book, um, was do you remember the you remember the series Vigilante, the DC series Vigilante,
0: the Marvel Wolfman one?
1: Yeah, he was essentially their version of Punisher. Speaking of Punisher,
0: the um, the '80s run because he he did both. He did a, a recent run too. Yeah,
1: no, the '80s one. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, he was basically I said DC's version of Punisher. He sprang out of New Teen Titans, and he was you know uh, a superhero that killed guys. You know, he that's basically what, what His stick was. So anyway, um, not. I think I read the book from the beginning, and it was off and on here and there. There was there was some interesting stuff. I was never a big like tough guy. Other than Batman, I was never big on like the super tough superheroes like Wolverine or Punisher and stuff. So Vigilante is not typically a character that I would like. But um, around issue twenty three or twenty four, Paul Kupperberg took over. One of my favorite people in the world, Paul Kupperberg, writer of Aquaman and occasionally Firestar. Um, he took over the book. And at some point, they just decided, I have to talk to Paul about this. We've never, I've never interviewed him for the show, and I guess we should. Uh, he's, a, he's another guy who's a great interviewer and has written everybody. Um, but halfway through his run, that book just went, I'm just going to say, batshit crazy. Yeah. And um, uh, around issue 35 or 36, they brought in the Peacemaker, you know, the Charlton character, the Peacemaker. And yeah. things just went insane. I mean I can't – I don't want to even say what happens because I want you to go out and find these books. They're very cheap to find. You can find them at comic you – know, like a, um, on eBay for virtually nothing. You can find them at comic shops. But like – you know like when a series, a TV series or, or any sort of series is going off the air and they know it and they're kind of just – they go for broke because they know they don't have to <laughs> extend the characters anymore?
0: Well, this is what
1: – this is how Vigilante read except Vigilante had over a year, year or two left to go. And oh, it was wow. just a, every single issue was some crazy development where you're like, "Wait a minute, that never, oh my God, that guy just shot that guy um, <laughs> and and I remember you know getting vigilante you know off the off the, the the shelves in comic shops at the time, and I literally could not wait between months to read this story because it was just crazy and um the the it sort of reaches its apogee of crazy, like said around thirty six, thirty seven. But then the book still had a year left after that, um, and and Copper really f- found ways to just ramp it up. I mean, this is not a, a way you would want to write comics, you know, in perpetuity <laughs> because <Yeah. laughs> there's no there's only so there's only so far to go. But it's a neat experiment of just taking a current series and just saying, let's just let. The natural extension of what would happen if these characters existed, let's let's let that happen, where you've got a guy who goes around and shoots people, uh, and 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 leaves a lot of misery and blood in his wake, and let's just see what happens with that, what what it does to people's lives and how it you know violence begets other violence, and it's it's a I'm maybe not making it sound as fun as it is, but it is it is like a just a it's like Death Wish the TV series, Death Wish the comic book, it's crazy. (laughs) And uh, I want to—I haven't read them in years, but I want to go out and re- read them again because they are—they are just so much fun. Um, you could look at the cover to Vigilante number thirty-six, where uh, the Vigilante is getting shot five times through the chest by Peacemaker, and that's not that far off to what happens in that book. Uh, so <laughs> it's a crazy series. So that is something I definitely recommend—is like the last year or two of Vigilante because it is just—it is crazy, crazy fun. Uh, another run that I loved. Was very brief is in Detective Comics, starting number 569, the book got taken over by Mike W. Barr, who of course created Batman and the Outsiders, and it was was written by Mike W. Barr and drawn by Alan Davis. And this run only lasted something like five issues, but this is about as close to classic Batman as I think I've ever read. Um, The first two issues, it's Joker and Catwoman. The second, it's The Scarecrow. The, there's another issue, which is the big anniversary one where he meets Sherlock Holmes. Then they take on the Mad Hatter. Um, it is like it, – it, it's almost like Mike Barr wanted to write Batman stories that would last in perpetuity. Like they are just classic, classic Batman stories. They're, they've are they got that modern sensibility to them, but they're also kind of old school with the giant props running around and all this sort of stuff in the 50s. <laughs> um, but then they're brought to life by Alan Davis which is, you know, like, the best. <laughs> One of the best guys ever. Um, so that's Now, um, no, what year was that? This Detective Comics run was in uh, 86, 87. Okay. Um, they are – and Batman is kind of, you know, the grim avenger of the night, but he's got a sense of humor too, you know. It's um, – it is a marvelous, marvelous run. And when I first remember when these books came out, I thought, man, this is going to be the greatest run of Batman I ever, I ever read. And then it was cut short. Because DC insisted on doing Batman Year Two.
0: In oh McFarlane. Like, yeah, oh yeah. Uh,
1: and Alan Davis drew the first issue of Year Two and then McFarlane took over after that and they never got back to it. So I'm not I am I've interviewed Mike Barr for my Phantom Stranger blog. I never have asked him about this. I would love to know why this this run ended so sort of abruptly. Because, man was it good. And he said it is and it the Batman comics are like perfect for almost all ages. You know, they they, hmm. they work well if you're you know, an older fan, you just love Batman because you kind of like that all the tropes that Mike W. Barr is hitting, but they work perfectly for kids too because they're they've got a detective angle. Um, each story has a, a beginning, middle, and end. Um, the Scarecrow story is fantastic in that the Scarecrow zaps Batman with the fear toxin, and instead of making him afraid, he makes him overconfident. And so, huh. as a, as Batman is trying to escape these death traps, he's hot dogging. <laughs> for, for for the sheer fun of it, and that's going to get him killed. It's great. And they are really, really, again, I don't think these were ever collected either, but, man, find them on eBay. I think you can get them for, like, a buck or two a copy. They are, if you love Batman, these are classic Batman stories.
0: Do you think this is, um, is this before or after Batman and the Outsiders? This is after. Really? Yeah. And yet it's a very different Batman.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I think that in, in Batman and the Outsiders, Mike Barr drove Batman a little... Crazy, turning him into like kind of this paranoid nut. Uh, He's not this way in the detective books. I almost feel like Barr was trying to write something classic and eternal for these for these issues. And you look at the covers uh, by Alan Davis; they're just they're just beautiful. Um, Actually, this was the story run that that turned Catwoman back into kind of like a villain. She had been sort of like a hero, and in in this story, Joker zaps her and turns her into a bad guy again, which pisses Batman off to no end. But these
0: are takes a ray gun to do that. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Um, but these are really, really, I cannot say enough about them. I, 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 mean, I want to go out and read them now. In fact, I think I'm just going to stop recording here.
0: Thank goodness for everybody. Yeah. Well, okay, folks, let's talk about something interesting. Let's
1: talk about Doctor Who again.
0: <laughs> actually, I'll share one real quick. Yes. Uh, this, is a, this is probably my best example of a good run. I've got some other ones, but this is probably my best example. And it's actually a Marvel comic. Uh, Daredevil. Now, for those of you who have ever read Daredevil, you know, everyone always goes back to Frank Miller's run on Daredevil. Everyone always goes back to Brian Bendis's or uh, Ed Brubaker's or whichever, or even maybe currently Mark Waid's run. There was a run back in 1996, only went for about a year, by Carl Kiesel and Cary Nord. And let me tell you, this, was, this run of Daredevil was wonderful. It, a lot of people don't remember it. There's a few people, a few vocal people out there that do, but the vast majority of folks don't even know it was out there. Basically, Frank Miller set up the pattern of back in the '80s. Push Matt Murdock to the breaking point. That's kind of the pattern. That, well, it's the story he did, and then a bunch of raiders since then have aped that. So you push Matt Murdock as far as you can until he breaks, and he snaps, and he either goes crazy or his life falls apart, and he has to rebuild it. But I mean, that has happened to Matt Murdock so many times, it's just it's it's old now. It's an old. It's a <laughs> He's really broken is. a lot. Yeah, there's only so many times you can break something and glue it back together. And that's kind of what Matt, uh, I'm sorry, what Mark Wade's working with right now is he sort of has, you know, Matt Murdock's been broken and now he's putting his life back together and he's chosen to be happy. That's what's going on in Mark Wade. Well, I got the news for you folks. Carl Kiesel did what Mark Wade is doing now. He did it first. After uh, many years of writers having, you know, pushing Matt to the limit, uh, Carl Kiesel came along and put Matt back together said, you know what, Matt want, you know, is trying to put all that behind him and he's trying to live a good, you know, happy life now. And it was it was really like a breath of fresh air at the time because there had been so much, you know, soul and turmoil and and and, very, and also a lot of nineties artwork at the time. And this came along, the lines were clean if you ever seen Kerry Noore's artwork, he's an amazing artist. Yeah, uh, I nice think stuff. He, Yeah. So he's really solid, clean lines, very athletic, acrobatic Daredevil. Matt got his license back. He you know, he joined a prestigious law firm. He shouldn't be Fo- driving. <laughs> what? He
1: said he got his license back. I said,
0: back uh, wah, wah, wah. Okay. um you know foggy got some interesting characterization because his mother was suddenly involved as the head of the law firm. Matt was with his girlfriend, uh Karen uh, Karen uh, Page. Hey, yeah. This is this is probably one of the last runs they did right before Kevin Smith came along and killed Karen Page. So um oh, that may, actually, that may be What's that? Is she
1: dead now?
0: Currently, yes.
1: <laughs> so, Currently.
0: Yes. So it could be that this run got cut short for the very fact of bringing Kevin Smith on board. I'm not sure. But most of the superheroes were over in the that whole Franklin Richards, uh, Marvel Reborn or whatever. Heroes Reborn universe where Jim Lee and Rob Liefeld and all them were drawing re- relaunched books. I don't know if you remember that or not.
1: Uh, vaguely.
0: Yeah, it was a big deal. They relaunched all the books and retold their origins and it was all the image guys doing the, that work and it, and it only lasted a year and they redid it. But this was during that period when all the heroes were gone. So there were a lot of villains around. And so Daredevil fought, I don't want to say a bunch of supervillains, but he certainly fought a few different ones and he fought ones that they were sort of street level like Mr. Hyde and Mysterio and people like that. So they weren't, you know, like Galactus, but they were Technically, supervillains. So there was still some superhero stuff to it, but it was definitely within Matt's, you know, wheelhouse. And uh, it was just great. It was a, it was a breath of fresh air. So, if you're a fan of Daredevil and you're enjoying the the Mark Wade run, or you just enjoy classic Daredevil, this is a great run. Some people compare it to Stan Lee's run. I don't know that that's right. This is more. It's more modern. I mean, there's some humor to it. There's some action. There's some drama, and it's a it's a really great, solid run from Daredevil. And those are, issues are three fifty three to three sixty four. Uh, and also, it, they really did a lot of developing Karen Page. I forgot to mention she was like a, a late night talk show host type stuff and <laughs> neat stuff. So again, look look up that Daredevil by Car- uh, Carl Kiesel and Carrie Nord.
1: I know it sounds like I'm be- beating this joke to death, but wouldn't Slipknot make a great Daredevil villain?
0: He would, he absolutely would. That's exactly the kind of villain Daredevil should be fighting. Yeah,
1: he seems like that kind of, you know, like a hangman kind of guy. It seems like they would fit together.
0: Yeah. You go ahead. I'll I'll mention a couple others later.
1: Uh, Okay. Uh, Finishing out into the DC stuff, um, going back, way back to the uh, 70s, um, there was, DC ran a book uh, from the 50s to the 60s called Tomahawk, which is, you know, that character, the frontier Western character. Um, They brought it back. I don't know if they brought it back. They just changed it one month. Uh, as of number 131, they flash-forwarded in time like 40 years and changed the book to Son of Tomahawk, where all of a sudden the main character that you had known, Tomahawk, is an old man. He's like a million years old. And his son is the main <laughs> – yeah, you should see him. He's drawn by Frank Thorne. He looks like uh, the Crypt um, And his son has become the main character. Um, his name is Hawk. And this these only ran this series only ran nine issues from 131 through 140 um it's funny i go back and i read the letters pages of those books and the old tomahawk fans were really horrified you know they were like hey what happened to my favorite character why is he an old man now and where who's this young guy and it's funny like if that had happened now to one of my like if they had all of a sudden changed the book to son of aquaman i'd be pretty pissed off too <laughs> but but you know i was reading these as back issues you know at the time um, so did, they all seem perfectly valid to me. These are amazing stories, these 131 through 140, The Son of, son of Tomahawks. Um, they tend to be – I think they're all written by um, Bob Kaniger. The art is by Frank Thorne, who is one of my all-time favorite artists. You know, his drawings of Red Sonia helped me get through puberty. Um, he is brilliant, <laughs> brilliant. Frank Thorne's a brilliant, brilliant artist. The covers were sometimes by Joe Kubert, sometimes by Neil Adams. Um, Wow. The stories are kind of like tur like very brief. They're only like know, like 13-14 pages each. Um they're not very subtle. They all they tend to deal with um like racism and and uh, tribalism. You know, they they're very heavy-handed sort of message stories, but they're really really fun, brilliantly executed um by Kaniger and and especially Thorne. And it's it was an experiment. The editor um the new editor of the book was was my former teacher, Joe Kubert. He took over the book And in the letters pages, he's trying to advise all the the angry fans to sort of, um, please be patient with this new approach. You know, trust us. It's going to go somewhere. And you can see over the course of these nine issues, the mail starts getting more and more favorable. To, to this idea. People are like, oh, wait, I kind of like this book. And unfortunately, I guess sales didn't go anywhere because the book was cancelled. as was at number 140. Um, but, mm-hmm. but again, you can... These are not collected anywhere, but you can find them relatively cheaply, cheaply on eBay, even though they're, they're 40-year-old comics at this point. They're still not that, that that hard to find for for a good price. And they are just like classic frontier western comic stories. They are really, really good. So this, this, the, 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 the book is still technically called Tomahawk, but on the cover says Tomahawk, Son of Tomahawk on every one of them. So they are they are really really good too.
0: And you know actually that's that's a good point. The one thing that going into this as we talk about these runs and even the next topic, just because something's not collected doesn't mean you can't read it. Uh, a lot of people kind of like oh it's not collected I can't get my hands on it. Dude, che- back issues are so cheap nowadays. Yeah. I, I, this is not an official endorsement of this site, but I'll tell you, Mile High Comics is where I typically order mine. And if you get on their newsletter, they'll send you a thing like a Thirty percent off coupon, like every week, and you get—it's just—I'll go out there and I'll order twenty back issues and spend just a few bucks, you know, and it's no different than buying a trade paperback. You just get the comics themselves. Yeah, you can get a lot so of tom- good
1: stuff for not a lot of money.
0: Yeah, so pick up those Tomahawk issues, or pick up Daredevil, or pick up the the Batman's might cost you a little more. But, Probably, yeah, but not much yeah.
1: more. Not much more. It's surprising. Yeah, so
0: I mean, don't don't be daunted when we say this stuff's not collected.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: I'll, I'll throw one out there real quick. Um, actually, uh, I'll throw out two real quick. These are DC. Uh, Dr. Fate. Some of you who listen know that I happen to like that little <laughs> character with a <the> gold helmet. <laughs> uh, Dr. Fate, I think, is awesome. One of, I think, the underappreciated runs of Dr. Fate is the first 24 issues of his series from 1987. 1987 sorry,
1: It was by J.M. Dematis. D- 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 Dematius, I believe.
0: Yeah. Uh, I've heard so many different pronunciations. Uh, yeah, of that. Bailey
1: says it Demetius, but I, I yes.
0: don't think that that's right. J.M. Dematis and Sean McManus. Uh, amazing artwork. Sean McManus is a great artist. And underrated, Fate,
1: very underrated.
0: Yes, and and, and his Doctor Fate work is great. That's why I was kind of surprised when I saw his artwork on Aquaman. I I'm not knocking it, but I'm just saying Doctor Fate. I think was the book he was like born to draw. So it just it was a gorgeous, gorgeous book, and. It is very preachy. I'm not going to lie. It's very preachy. It's got some religious tones to it—not Christianity, but sort of about rebirth and heaven and things like that. But I, I'm not a terribly religious guy, and it didn't bother me. So I don't—I don't think anyone would be offended. It's more
1: spiritual than than religious.
0: That is, you know what? That is the word to look for. It. And, yeah, and, J,
1: and a, JM is kind of like that as a person, yeah. and in his writing for the most part. So, so he, a lot of his stuff is very sort of spiritual and mystical.
0: And that's a great way to put it, spiritual and mystical. And you know, I I don't think that bogs down the book. I don't think you're going to feel like ah, you know. It's just a great story. They touch on you know many different incarnations of Doctor Fate, and it's it's a great uh, it's a great read. You know, you, you you get it. Well, you just need to read it. So I'm just going to say that he brought
1: the Phantom now, Stranger in on those books too, and he's really good. he did a good job with that character.
0: Well, you know. He can't get every issue great, so I suppose I'm putting something like that in there. But, no, I'm kidding. So. Chemistry. <laughs> <laughs> so, Dr. Fate 1 through 24. It was from 1980, 1987 by J.M. DeMattis and Sean McManus. Pick it up. It is It is definitely a journey. It is a story that has a beginning, a middle, and an uh, end. Yes, yes. And it's, uh, you know, if you read a couple issues, just know there's more to it. You know, do, go for the full run. It. You, I'm sure they're dirt cheap. They, so are. You can probably, they are. You can probably find the change in the couch to buy these. So. <laughs> The other one I'm going to mention is one of my favorite runs of comics because it's just so much fun. It was also another one of these kind of breath breath of fresh air books. was the Justice Society of America from 1992. Uh, The artwork was by Mike Parabek.
1: Oh, Mike Parabek. The late, great Mike Parabek.
0: That is a crime. That is so – his passing was such a blow because he's he's a young guy. He's an amazing style. He did a lot of the Batman animated series comic books. So he had sort of that, you know, uh, Bruce Tim sort of style of, of drawing. So imagine the JSA in that kind of style. That was great. And that's what the Justice Society of America book was. And it was right after they had come back from, you know, they were, they were after Crisis of Infinite Earth, they were shoved into the, pa- the pocket dimension, Ragnarok, the Ragnarok and all Ragnarok, that. yeah. Yep. And this is right after they come back from Ragnarok. And they are old, they are old people. And that's what the comic book is about. The comic book's got old people. Maybe uh, freaking same man has a stroke. You know, are um,
1: making it sound like so much fun.
0: Well, I suppose I am, but no. <laughs> it's it's about how they can still contribute. How and and they're not as old as they should be. They're still kept somewhat young right. by the energies of all the you know the forces and everything. But it's a story, I guess, it ha- deals with getting older. It does deal with still ha- saving the day but having to deal with the fact that you're getting a little older. You know, Johnny Quick's daughter is there, Jessie Quick. That's where she was first introduced was in this series. And it's a lot of fun. I mean, the artwork, the writing, the whole book is a blast. And unfortunately, DC never really gave it the chance it needed. From what what I've heard, uh, and I don't know if this is true, you know, it's a bit apocryphal, but DC had already decided to cancel it before the first issue ever came out. (laughs) Like, the first issue was solicited. They saw the sales in the first issue, and they decided at that point, okay, this is not going to go that long. That's, what, that's the story I hear. I don't know if it's true or not, but it's very disappointing because I think if it had given it a chance to get the momentum, I think everybody would have loved this. So if, you, if you're a fan of the Justice Society, even a little bit, you should definitely pick up Justice Society of America from 1992. It was only a 10-issue run, well worth your time and money. you probably also get that for pocket change. Mr. Kelly?
1: Oh, you said you had one more.
0: Those were two, Dr. Faye and oh, Dr. Fe- oh,
1: you're right. I can't count. All right. Uh, <laughs> Take your shoes off. Count with your toes. All right. Well, I have two more, uh, and then that will be – I guess we'll wrap this up. But um, one of them is uh, from the early 80s, A independent book. Uh, there used to be a comics publisher called uh, Pacific Comics. They were one of the first uh, indie comic book companies that sort of spread it out – spread it up out of the um, – the direct market. And uh, they put out a miniseries. Uh, I think they put out – it's a six-issue miniseries. They folded before the miniseries <laughs> got to end. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so, so Eclipse Comics, which is another one another one of those companies, picked it up. It's called Somerset Holmes. Uh, it's written by um, Bruce Jones and I think with his wife April. I think they co-wrote it and drawn by Brent Anderson, who is currently doing such good work overall on the Phantom Stranger book. And Somerset Holmes is it's a six-issue miniseries about a woman who wakes up with no memory of who she is and gets involved in a murder mystery. And I won't say anything more about it than that, other than it is like a comic book version of a Hitchcock movie. And oh if, wow! And if you're a Hitchcock fan or like a, just a, a, a fan of like well-constructed thrillers and who did, kind of it's not a whodunit exactly, but it, it, it's got a lot of mystery and sort of reveals to it. This is your book, and the work by Brent Anderson is. Unbelievable. I mean, I think they could make this a movie and just shoot the comic book. You know, I mean, the the, the, the panels look like storyboards. The lighting is is gorgeous. Everything's always raining. It's drenched, and there's all sorts of, like, uh, double crosses and things like that. And um, unlike the other things I've mentioned, Somerset Holmes has been collected. Uh, it was put into an album. I think the, the album is out of print, but you can't get it on Amazon. I, I went and looked it up, did research for once for an episode. Um, <laughs> You go to Amazon and you can buy it. I think for fairly cheap, like ten or twenty bucks. Um, and it is it is really really good. It's not superheroes. It's just a straightforward, you know, mystery woman. You know, wakes up and can't figure out why does she have this key in her pocket and what's this name mean and why is this guy chasing her trying to kill her. It is gr- it, You know, I, I was of an age where I was trying to branch out a little in terms of my comic book reading, and I think I bought. Bought the first issue just on a whim, and I was like, "Oh my god, this series!" Fan-, and it just hooked me in immediately. And I've always been a fan of Hitchcock movies, and this is this is like the you know the greatest Hitchcock story he never did. So um, hmm. that is a really really good series, Somerset Homes. Uh, I, 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 like I said, you can get the album or you can get the uh, the issues again very cheaply. You can find them. I've searched for them on eBay because I, I lost the original ones I had, and then I bought them again, and you can get them for like a buck or two each. They are and they are beautiful comics um, the Som- Som- Somerset Holmes
0: You keep saying album
1: It was called that because it's like oversized Oh okay um, It's not uh, like a classic trade paperback It's it's one of those like 10 It was put out as like a 10 by 12 or like 9 by 11 Kind of hmm. oversized book. yeah I don't know why they, they did it that way Or why they called it that, but that's, that's the term that they use
0: That's cool Yeah
1: it's, it's a really great series um, And then the last one I wanted to mention was Scott McCloud Of course him of Understanding Comics And all those other great how-to books about how to make comics. His uh, big claim to fame was, of course, the series Zot, which Mm -hmm. was done from uh, Eclipse Comics about a a kid from another dimension who comes to visit our dimension, and he meets up with this young girl, Jenny, and her family. The first ten issues of Zot take place mostly in Zot's dimension, which is this kind of parallel universe where everything is sort of bright and clean and nice and happy, unlike our miserable world. And then um, the book went away for a while, And it came back, and when it came back, it came back in black and white, and most of it decided, he decided to take place here on Earth. And the last, I think like the last dozen or so issues of Zot, he called them Earth stories. They had sort of a subtitle where they dealt almost exclusively with Jenny and her family. I think her parents were going through a divorce. Her friends, all who go to high school. And Zot sort of flits in and out of the stories. Um... he's not the main character. It was kind of an interesting approach. It's kind of like writing a Superman series where Superman only shows up occasionally. And they are some of the best human interest stories um, I've ever read in a comic book. And in fact, there was one issue uh, number, I think it's number 33, where um, Jenny uh, Jenny talks with her friend who is a young woman who is um, dealing with uh, the realization that she's gay. And it's a single-issue story, and the way Scott – I'm not going to reveal it, but the way Scott McCloud ends that issue is one of the single finest moments I would ever say I ever read in a comic book ever because he uses the comic book format in a way that almost no other form of entertainment could be used in terms of using the way pages are are laid out and the way a reader is expecting a story to happen – it is brilliant. And that single issue, number 33, I'd say is one of the 10 greatest comics I've ever read in my life. And I imagine I was lucky enough to tell Scott McLeod that in person, which was great. Um, those are collected as well. You can get them on Amazon. They're called Zot Earth Stories. And uh, they are brilliant human interests comics. They are really, really wonderful.
0: Hmm. That sounds cool.
1: Yeah, great stuff.
0: I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mention one more that you just made me think of when you mentioned the com- Zot coming in and out of their lives. There was a four-issue miniseries by DC in 1992 called Gotham Knights, and this is knights with an N, not a K. Well, I guess there is an N in it, but it's not, knights is in like a knight in armor, but Gotham Knights, like nighttime in Gotham. It's a four-issue miniseries, and it was all about uh, this, cl- this group of people that happened to be, I think it was on a subway, if I remember correctly, or an EACH or an elevated train together that live in Gotham. And each story just kind of, fo- different parts focus on each one of the characters, and they're just regular people, but, but Batman or things surrounding the Batman's life have affected their lives by living in Gotham. Um, I don't want to say a lot, because if you read it, it's, it there's sort of some powerful stuff in there. But there are characters who have had tragedies because of Batman's supervillains. There are characters where they, you know, things, good things have happened to them because Batman's in Gotham City. And the the way that it all culminates is at the end, I think, when they're all on the train, Batman comes swooping in with a villain or something, if I recall correctly. But very powerful. One of the scenes to this day, I recall so well, it, like, gets me choked up. Mm. It's written by the amazing John Ostrander. Or Ostrander, sorry. Uh, You probably know him from his work on Suicide Squad or Firestorm or Star Wars or even did a couple Aquaman issues. I mean, Spectre or Martian Manhunter, he's, he's done a million things. So... If you if you like Batman, if you like that idea of the real world impact that a, a hero could have on the world, like the Astro, if you ever read Astro City, and you, know, you get a kind of a sense of what the real world would be like if there were superheroes, this is one of those. Like what would happen to regular people if there were characters like Batman and the Joker and all of them in Gotham City? Um, really good stuff. From nineteen ninety two, Gotham Knights one through four, you can find them. Dirt cheap anywhere. Just make sure you get the right one, because I mean, what you're going to find is there's there was, it was so good they did a sequel called Gotham Knights 2, It's fine, but Gotham Knights one is the better one, I would say. And then of course Batman has had a number of books called Batman Gotham Knights right. with a K. So just make sure it's Gotham Knights from 1992, John Ostrander. So. All
1: right, I'm gonna I, that sounds cool. I want to find that.
0: Yeah, you definitely should. Cool. So, all right, so we were going to take a moment to just kind of a fun nerd question. Um, you know. What are our top five favorite superheroes and why? And, you know, we get asked this a lot. I've, I get asked this a lot. Nobody and, asks me uh, anything. Well, I mean, I think they all assume all five of yours are Aquaman. But <laughs> <laughs> Aquaman in the blue costume. Aquaman in the orange costume. Aquaman what with the water vo- hand. What is that voice you're doing? <laughs> that's, that's how you talk. Because right now, what they don't know is we actually run Rob's voice through a, a filter. <laughs> because he normally talks like this. <laughs> but we run it through the filter, so he has those... Those dulcet tones he, you know, and that Jersey accent he carries, so. (laughs) I like it when you say the word classic. It makes me happy. (laughs) (laughs) All right, uh, so Rob, you're up. Who's your top five favorite superheroes and why?
1: Well, I think everybody knows who my number one is, but I will say this. When I was a kid, um, if DC had put out a book just starring Aquaman, Batman, Green Arrow, and Plastic Man, I would have been a happy kid. Those are always my four favorite characters, and I got three of them in Justice League.
0: So wait, Batman, Aquaman, Green Arrow, and Plastic Man—is yes. that what you said? Yes. Okay. Uh,
1: I, I I don't even know why I loved Plastic Man much. I guess it's like the costume is so cool, and I like his powers and the fact that he kind of never took anything seriously, which I yeah. really like, you know. Um, but he was always one of my favorites. I liked him in the he had the quit that awful cartoon series in the eighties. Um, <laughs> Bad Luck Hula. Yeah. <laughs> oh God! Play Baby Plast. Um, but I always loved that character. So anytime he appeared like I when he had his run in um Adventure Comics, uh, mm-hmm. I bought that drawn by the great great Joe Staton. Um he had his own series briefly. Anytime he appeared anywhere, I always bought the comic. So I kept hoping DC would just put those four guys in a book together <laughs> or get plastic Manager on the Justice League, which I knew was probably not going to happen because of elongated man. Um but um th- those that's your wish. Yeah, well that's true. Yeah, thank you Alex Ross. Um but uh, oh no no that was before that no, was Grant yeah, Morrison very yeah, Morrison Alex Ross loves Plastic Man too but I forgot that it's, well he used to put him in he used to every JLA yeah, yeah exactly um, but that those were always my four favorite Green Arrow I just loved because of the costume I'm big like archery guy like that appeals to me Robin Hood I had the Green Arrow Migo doll which was one of the best Mego dolls they ever did so I think that had something to do with it and Batman is just Batman everybody loved Batman um, so those those are always my four favorites I, I haven't. Read a lot of Batman or Green Arrow comics in a long time. There hasn't been much much that's appealed to me. Plastic Man's been good though. Like Kyle Baker. That's another thing I could have mentioned in the great run. Mm. Is the Kyle Baker Plastic Man. Those are those are great comics. Um, so those are always my my four favorites, uh, and and it's kind of like not changed over time, at least in terms of superhero characters. Those have always been the um, my my four favorites. And I guess if I had to do like a fifth, I would put Hawkman in there, or Hawk, maybe even more Hawk Girl. Um, I always love those characters. I, I don't understand why those characters are so hard to write for as a series. <laughs> like, yeah. okay, you know, inter interstellar space cops, hot redhead wife, spaceship, done. You know, I <laughs> don't know why it's so hard. <laughs>
0: this shouldn't be this so shouldn't hard. Shouldn't be so
1: hard. Um, but uh, but but I always love the Hawks too. Um, and and I, you know, I, when I said as I'm talking, I think I liked Hulk Girl more than 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 Hawkman even. And the, the the rare moments where Hulk Girl got to like be her own character. Those I loved, like when she teamed up with Superman at DC Comics Presents, and she got to appear on the Super Friends by herself uh, with that Hawkman. I always liked that too. So I guess those would probably be like my five favorites. Slot Hawk Girl in there at the end.
0: You know, I've always liked Hawk Girl as well, and not just because she's a redhead, but like uh, John Ostringer's Hawk World run, uh, where it was she was Hawk Woman rather than Hawk Girl. That was a great character. In fact, I remember uh, you know. DC back then with the letters page boys, they'd be like, "Who should join the Justice League?" and people would write in who they think and all that. And I always thought Hawkwoman. you know, forget Hawkman, leave him behind. Hawkwoman was the much more interesting character, I thought. So I got a, I, thats a good choice, Rob. Thank you. Um, and I—I, I, you know, it's funny. Uh, I think if you really looked at it, Batman was a phase for you because you know I always say everyone—I <laughs> always say to, I always say Batman. Everyone goes through a Batman phase and then they grow up. So
1: it was in college. I was experimenting.
0: Right, exactly. Thanks for using my old joke. Uh, okay. Green Arrow is, there is something fascinating about Green Arrow. And it's interesting in that, for me, every incarnation of him sparks my interest in one way or another. Whether it be the Trick Arrows, or the Mike Grell Longbow Hunters, or it be the Connor Hawk. Each each version of Green Arrow has always sparked my interest. So, yeah, there's something to it. He's not on my list, but I Okay, my top five favorites. Some of these are going to be no-brainers for some of you who have listened to the show for a while. Uh, the first one is, surprisingly, some guy whose head's on fire. And is in happens to not be uh, Ghost Rider.
1: Richard Pryor? <laughs> <laughs> I think I used that joke already on the show. That's sad. I Probably. I think second. we're
0: recycling a few jokes this episode. Sure, yeah. This is our flashback episode, folks. We're just using old jokes today. Uh, my second favorite uh, is Blue Devil. Absolutely love the character of Blue Devil. Fell in love with him from the first issue. Uh, I was looking for, I wanted to get in on a comic on the ground floor. The first issue came out. A friend of mine told me, Why don't you try that? And has been hooked ever since. The My favorite incarnation has to be the Dan Mishkin, Gary Cohn, Paris Collins Blue Devil from the first six issues of that series. Just, they're perfect. There's an underrated run of the series right there. Dr. Fate's one, another one of my favorites. Love him. Love every incarnation of Dr. Fate. Really looking forward to the new one coming up in Earth 2. Just a great character. It's, it's funny that. Um, Blue Devil and Doctor Fate are both kind of tied into magic, and yet I'm not a huge fan of magic in comic books, Hmm. because nine times out of ten, every magic story comes down to either, you know, coming up with some idea that came out of nowhere, some spell that came out of nowhere, you're like, that that, that doesn't even work in the story. You know, like, that good writing, you know, the the answer to the problem is always somewhere written earlier in the story, right? Well, magic is either always, someone comes up with some half-assed spell, and you're like, well, whatever, okay. Or... (laughs) Or, more often than not, the answer is love. Love, for some reason, in magic, beats everything. I'm telling you, I hear that by your silence, you're probably scratching your head there. But I'm telling you, you go back and read any comic, and it's always love or caring about someone else is the most
1: powerful magic of all. I'm just playing the Beatles song over my...
0: I I tell you, um, it's a... Anyway... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Who was the magician with the high tops back in the 70s? Uh, his name escapes me. Doug Henning? Doug, Doug Henning. Henning? Doug. <laughs> yeah. It's like, Doug Henning, now we're going to perform magic with love. That's kind of what happens.
1: <laughs> he is a very, very hippie magician, yes.
0: Yes, he was. So uh, my fourth favorite is Flash, specifically the Wally West Flash. Loved the journey of Wally West from just becoming Flash to eventually where he ended up right before Infinite Crisis. Wow. Such a great journey. That Mark Wade run, that first Mark Wade run, you know, from when it starts with his origin goes all the way through. And Wally West is an amazing character, and uh, it just breaks my heart that he's been left behind. Yeah,
1: I I think DC messed that up. I think they had a real chance to make him the true legacy character, and then they went back on it.
0: They swear they've got a plan, and -hmm. you know, it's almost like I feel like I gotta trust them because I will say the current Flash book is great. Right, it's so good. And that story they're doing wouldn't work about Wally West. It works because it's about Barry Allen, but it's still not the Flash I want to read. Right. If that makes any sense. All right. Fifth one is Aquaman. You know, no brainer there. I will tell you when I was a kid, I liked Namor better for a while there, though. There was, like, Aquaman for a long time. And then when I got to my teenage years, started reading Marvel, I liked Namor better. In fact, that John Byrne run on Namor was great. I love that John Byrne where he drew it for a while and then Jay Lee took over. Great run on Namor. And then, uh, then back to Aquaman again. So, you make the top five. Congratulations, Rob! Yay! You don't have to cry yourself to sleep tonight. Now, I have three not honorable not mentions. Not for that reason, no. Right, I have three honorable mentions. Uh, Robin, specifically the Tim Drake Robin. What a well-developed character! He's a great character. Um, and I haven't been following him lately, uh, but I will say Tim Drake as Robin was just great. That was maybe that's because that was my era when I went through my Batman phase. I don't know. But, <laughs> Green Lantern, Kyle Rayner specifically, another great character. A lot of people were upset when Hal left uh, or was taken out, whatever you want to say. But ignoring that fact that Hal was removed and someone else was put in, Kyle himself was a great development, very creative ideas, great kid. You really couldn't help but like the guy and makes great character. And then finally, uh, Daredevil. Got to mention Daredevil. So that's my top... I guess eight. Technically.
1: What, do you, what do you, 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 like uh, that Born Again series, right? The Daredevil, the Frank Miller, David Mezzicelli thing.
0: Yeah, it's good. Absolutely. Okay,
1: yeah. I love that. But I mean, there, that's, that's famous, so I, that's why I didn't think to mention
0: it. Oh yeah, I mean, there, there's almost. I'm trying to think. There's almost no Daredevil I don't like. I mean, there's been there's been eras where the I've the like movie? stopped. I like that. Believe it you or not, you like
1: the Daredevil movie.
0: I do. You are. A I fan. don't think Ben Affleck. I don't think Ben Affleck was the best <sighs> choice for the role. That's. But I think he did okay. Slightly.
1: Okay. Oof. You are a real fan. Okay. I am a, I am a real fan. I didn't, I didn't I didn't realize. Okay.
0: Like uh, every Daredevil comic from probably just before Frank Miller's run on, I've read. Okay. Pretty much. I mean there's a few things I haven't. There I'll, I'll admit there was some eras towards after after Bendis and into some of Brubaker's. even though Brubaker's run was brilliant. I did read all of Brubaker's Baker's run. Mm-hmm. But some of the, some of the Bendis stuff I kind of gave up on. I never read the Diggle stuff. Um, There's a few issues of the old series. But, I mean, for the most part, since the early – since before Frank Miller's run, I've read everything. It's – I just love it. Great character.
1: Well, now we have somebody to slide in in case something happens to Firestorm.
0: Nothing will happen. Okay, look. For those of you who keep cracking those jokes – You're the
1: one who sent out the chicken little email
0: to everybody worrying that Firestorm is
1: going to be canceled. Just
0: saying, I, I had a bad day. Okay, yes. I was I was worried. So, but uh, oh, by the way, those okay. Final guys, if you haven't seen the solicitation for the next issue of Firestorm, dude, Killer Frost number uh, number nineteen's got so eighteen we get Multiplex, nineteen we get Killer Frost, so twenty I fully expect Hyena,
1: twenty one Slipknot.
0: <laughs> well, I was sort of following the original Firestorm run. Oh, Firestorm run in issue number two you got Multiplex, in issue oh, three I see. Killer okay. Frost, in issue four you got Hyena. Okay, so. I fully expect number 20 to have Hyena.
1: Let's so. get Firestorm long enough so he can, Jan Dan can get this. Up.
0: Okay, now I will say this, and somebody, some people have noticed this. The cover of number 19, which by the way, they're all fold-out covers that month, which is pretty cool. But on the cover is Firestorm, and at least the one half of the cover you can see, because it's going to fold out, so we can't see the other half right now. But you got Firestorm, and you've got Killer Frost, and guess what Killer Frost is doing? Have you seen it yet, Rob? I
1: have, but what is she doing? I don't she remember.
0: is. She's looking pissed. Because she is bound up by rope.
1: Is she really? I don't. She think really I is. Noticed that. Oh, on the boy. cover.
0: <laughs> so oh, I'm looking after,
1: right at it. Oh yeah.
0: <laughs> after our conversation with Dan, I'm like, could it be when that oh, falls right. off? <laughs> <is> <laughs> that would be amazing.
1: I think we should full, take full credit for that.
0: I, I'm gonna have to write Dan or something and just like, come on. <laughs> I mean. Actually, I, won't. I wouldn't do that to him because he can't obviously tell us, but still. So much fun. All right. So there we go. There you go, folks. There's our nerd top fives. And then uh, let's see what else. Oh, this is the thing I wanted to do. Yes. Late to the party. <laughs> um, there, There are certain classic runs of comics that everyone knows. So earlier we talked about obscure runs. This is more of classic runs everybody knows. Which ones were we late to the party on, meaning – Comics that we really enjoyed that we got into after they were popular, or they were already over. And I've got a, a decent-sized list here, Rob. I don't know if you've gotten any, but I'll, I'll throw a couple out. I have virtually
1: nothing to add to this segment.
0: Because apparently Rob is always right on the cutting edge. And I He only, only reads comics when they're cool. Or, <laughs> right. if they're over, he just refuses to go back and read anything old, because he you know, he's a snob and only wants the new stuff. All true. So, what's that? All true. Uh, I'll give a perfect example right now I am reading instead of studying for my next who's who episode which is what I should be doing I've been reading old issues of Micronauts Uh, have have I ever talked about Micronauts here on the show no no. okay we're talking this is the 1970s 1980s series it's a great book
1: though Michael Golden Michael Golden you know
0: I know it's like you, you hear Micronauts and it's like really a toy license book no thank you you know that's what I thought growing up a toy license for quite frankly a Pretty embarrassing toy series.
1: <laughs> they broke just, so easily.
0: <laughs> I just pissed off somebody. Anyway, <laughs> it's written by Mil Mantlo, who's a great, great science fiction writer um, for comics. Uh, drawn by Michael Golden at first, then drawn by Pat Broderick. Oh, I don't, I don't
1: think I knew that. Okay.
0: Yeah. And okay. let me tell you, folks, like, this is going to piss off a match head or two, but, like, I love Pat Broderick's stuff on Firestorm. I really do. But after seeing his stuff on... Micronauts and the creative sort of like, because you know it's other worlds and aliens and other dimensions and stuff, his talent was underutilized on Firestorm. And that's not to say he didn't draw amazing stuff, it's just he didn't have the opportunity to draw some of the wild stuff he's capable of drawing. I would say the same thing about his Batman run. Even though his Batman run looks great, he was under-challenged, under maybe I would be a better way, by the, by the script. Because... He can draw some cool stuff with aliens and crazy monsters and other dimensions and stuff. Wow! Broderick is talented. So these Micronaut issues, I'm currently on like 25 or 26 right now. I just, like I said, I went to malhai High Comics and I ordered 20 comics at a time. So, and uh, absolutely love them. You know, I, I read the first 20 in a burst and then I took off like a year or two. And now I just started up with 21 and I'm on 25 right now. And there's so much fun. It's a great sci-fi epic story about little people in another universe and it take a lot of it takes place in the microverse and a lot of it takes place in on earth so you get to see them interact with last you know an issue or two ago they were fighting side by side with nick fury how cool is that you know
1: <laughs> yeah they did work in the marvel universe like yeah. it was not its own i think it started out as its own thing maybe and then eventually they
0: um, they very quickly came over oh, to did marvel. they okay yeah within the first 12 issues but now dc i'm sorry marvel can't reprint these because they don't own the rights right, to microphones, out, right, right. right? So, yeah, you, but you can pick them up cheap, get them for a song. So, good. So that's a good example of I was late to the party. I didn't start reading them till now. Uh, so, if that helps you understand, Rob, uh, what, what this topic is, because Rob apparently brought nothing. So, <laughs> another one. I don't I'm going to understand it. I just don't
1: have anything to say.
0: <laughs> I'm going to mention these other ones. I'll go a little faster as we go through these, but. Um, New, Mutant. <laughs> my <voice is> cracking. <laughs> New Mutants, another one I was late to the party on. Now, I was there during the Rob Liefeld years, um, towards the end with Cable and all that butt stuff. But I had, growing up, I had always heard how cool the New Mutants were when they first started. You know, those early issues by Claremont and McLeod and Sienkiewicz, but I didn't read them at the time. And to me, they were kind of magical because all my friends read them and talked about how good they were. So years later, I went back about the back issues. And, man, let me tell you, those early Bob McCloud issues and then the Billson Kevich issues are, like, gold. If you if you like the mutant world, but you don't want to get bogged down with all the X-Men 15 titles and all the craziness that goes on, this is a great run to pick up. They they are reprinting it. You can get these in collections. That's, early a, new-
1: that, yeah. that's a good way of putting it. I never thought of it that way. But I read New Mutants, too, and you're right. That is a good way to, like, kind of dip your toe in that universe without getting lost and... In- the seventy nine X Men books that were going on,
0: which is, which is sort of ironic because New Mutants was the first spin off book. Yes, but sort of like New Mutants caused all of that. It was a
1: huge <laughs> deal at the time. was huge because yeah. it was like uh, an X Men spin off book. What? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> They'll never do this again. <laughs> <laughs> and you can't help but love the characters. I mean, to this day, I still love Sam Guthr- Guthrie and Robert DeCasso. Exactly. You know? I, I know them by their real names. I mean, it's like, oh, great, great story. So, uh, another one I was late to the party on, and I'm still kind of late to the party on, I'll be honest. Uh, New Teen Titans, the Wolfman Perez era. I started reading New Teen Titans at the time that no one should ever start reading New Teen Titans. I started reading it, reading it during the Titans hunt, which was sort of the signaling of the end of the Titans era, really. Now, uh, if Tom Pendergast is listening at the moment, he's going to be like, what? "What? What? What? No, it's great." But he um, sounds a
1: little bit like uh, Luke Jack
0: <laughs> Tom's like, "I don't talk like that." But uh, anyway, the Titans hunt was many years later. This is you know, like into like the issues of uh, into the seventies, not the nineteen seventies, but the issues were into the seventies of the second book, the New Teen Titans. So what's that? Like 130 issues into the, the storytelling is when I started. And now the art is Tom Grummet, folks. So it doesn't get much better than Tom Grummet. If anybody says a bad word about Tom Grummet, we're going we're gonna to have a problem. Anyway, the Tom Grummet run by Wolfman, it's it starts off really good and fascinating because the Titans are all missing and Nightwing has to put together a new team. Anyway, that's not really what I'm here to talk about. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was late to the party on the early issues, and when I say I'm still late to the parties, I've only read, like, the first 16 of them, and I own, like, one through 50 now. I bought them over the last couple of years. I own, like, one through 50 of the of the classic original Wolfman, Perez, Titans, and I've only gotten to, like, the first 16. They're really fun. I love them. It really doesn't kick into gear until probably issue eight or nine. It's like, the first six, I think, like, I, I read those, and I'm like, this really went big? Huh. But... Once you get to around issue 8 or 9, it's like, oh, okay, yeah, this is why. Absolutely. Oh, my gosh, this is good. So that's another one that uh, just played to the party on. Obviously, Swamp Thing, uh, we've talked about this before, um, primarily, I think, on the Who's Who podcast. But Alan Moore, Stephen Bissett, Swamp Thing, I had never read them. I I had come into Swamp Thing during the Nancy Collins era, and and I like Swamp Thing. Don't get me wrong. I just had never read the the Moore stuff. And Rob, uh, well, honestly, Rob blackmailed me. And told me if I didn't read it, um, some bad, bad things were going to happen to my family. So I went ahead and ordered the trades and got some of them cheap at a place called Half. No, where was it? We were at Powell's Books in New Orleans. Let me tell you, that great. That place is amazing. So, anyway, not New Orleans. Damn it, Portland, Portland. Se- <laughs> second time Portland's got mentioned in a no month.
1: Are you part of the Chamber of Commerce out there, or what?
0: I would like to move there, no, but anyway. Okay. <laughs> I love me some Portland. Less gators. There's less Gators. That's why I want to go there. That's exactly right. <laughs> More granola. Uh, the, Alan, the Alan Moore beset. It's everything everyone said. The Alan Moore go. deep beset Swamp Thing is everything you've heard, and I thought it couldn't be. I'm like, come on, this has been built up to be too much. And I read it, and it's everything. Yeah. Everyone said. <laughs> and if you like, when Vertigo first launched, there was like a there was an excitement, at least for me, when Vertigo first launched. Every Vertigo title just was energizing and like, wow, and this feels like that.
1: I have a uh, suggest. I do actually have a, a submission for this segment, but it involves you, uh, not me. Uh, you've mentioned many times before that you didn't start reading Justice League until the Detroit era.
0: It's on my list.
1: That is the definitive late to the party.
0: <laughs> oh no, sir. There's a, there's a parallel to that. I didn't start reading Avengers until the Brown Jacket Avengers era either.
1: I, I, I that's close, but I would still say that is the ultimate example of you being late to the party. Is only reading, starting to read it the Detroit. Era level justice. That is like that is like, that is like showing up to the party after everyone has either sectioned off, gone into rooms to have sex, or has passed out in their own vomit, and then you show up. <laughs> <off. That> is... <laughs> What's up, everybody? <laughs> I'm ready to. Oh, <laughs> everybody's. <laughs> True, not bad, Shag. You said.
0: You clearly don't know your Avengers because the brown coated Avengers are felt are treated exactly. Oh, the is same. it okay? Yeah, oh yeah. It. Okay, <laughs> the brown jacketed Avengers from the '90s are. Everyone looks at that exactly the same way as Justice League: Detroit. They're oh, like, boy. really? The Avengers was Black Widow, Black Knight, Cersei, and Crystal, and Hercules. Ouch! That's it. <laughs> You're like, oh no, there was Deathbird in there too, or Death Cry. <laughs> what? Um, that makes it So. Yes, they're, I, th- those are on my list as, like, I was late to the party because I came in there. Now I will tell you that I still love me some Justice League Detroit. Anyway, <laughs> Captain Marvel's another one I was late to the party on, the Jim Starlin stuff. Okay. Uh, wow, that stuff's good. Have you ever read, like, the, the Jim Starlin Captain Marvels?
1: I have not. I've, I'm a big fan of his book Dread Star. That's another book I could have mentioned.
0: Ooh, uh, more, there you go. Uh,
1: but, uh, but no, I've never read. I don't think – I've read little bits and pieces, and I certainly read his The Death of Captain Marvel graphic novel, which
0: is great. That is powerful. See, like, I'd always heard about it, and, and I went back and picked up some old Captain Marvel stuff. Like, I got the Showcase – or not Showcase. What do they call them? Essentials. And let me tell you, that's tough going because it doesn't get interesting until, like, halfway through. And that's not even the Starlin stuff. Right. Um, I mean, that was a tough read. But it was – I'm glad I did it. And then I picked up some of the Jim Starlin graphic novels or reprints. Wow, the Jim Starlin Captain Marvels. I'm not even a cosmic hero kind of guy, but the Jim Starlin stuff was just very engaging – Really fascinating, interesting stuff. Very thought-provoking. A little spiritual, and then the death of Captain Marvel.
1: I cried. It yeah, was he, he was he was using that to work through his uh, feelings about his father dying of cancer.
0: Really, I it's, didn't know that. That's what he okay, used that
1: book as sort of therapy.
0: And our thanks to Captain Marvel for being the only superhero ever in either the Marvel or DC universe to stay dead. Stay dead. <laughs> I mean, they've tried to fake us out a couple times, but he thankfully. He's still dead. Yes. So uh, I was late to, the, late to the game on Jeff Johns' flash run. I read all of Mark Wade's run on you know, Wally West, and Mark Wade finished up. I did one of these. <laughs> Done. Walked away. <laughs> Thought, well, I don't need to do that anymore. <laughs> this isn't my Wally West. And then uh, later on, I regretted that terribly because some <laughs> new guy named Jeff Johns had come on the book.
1: <laughs> and I buried those comics in a shallow grave.
0: Well, honestly, part of it was I had read Stars and Stripes. And while a bunch of people praised Stars and Stripes, I was reading it as it was coming out and did not enjoy it. And I enjoyed elements of it, but not overall. So I was like, oh, this is the guy that wrote Stars and Stripes. I am out. (laughs) So... Yeah, I regretted that mistake. So I went back and bought the trades on those. Those are amazing. Man thing was another thing I was late at the party on. Uh, love is a man thing. I don't, I don't know if that's really late at the party because I don't know if there really was a party I, for man I thing.
1: I absolutely think I found the bumper. Loves me some man thing. That is going
0: to – I'll give it to you nice and clean. I loves me some man thing.
1: <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Just enough gets of a even, pause there. I could
0: clip it out. It <laughs> gets even better that, uh, that people love to make fun of what
1: they did. <laughs> they did. I can't even understand what you're saying anymore. <laughs> I, I can't talk. They did like an annual or one of the Giant-sized man thing, yes. That's exactly right. Yes. <laughs> it's called the infamous, infamous giant-sized man thing comic. Yes. It was the <laughs> 70s. It
0: was a crazy time. <laughs> they knew what they were doing. They knew exactly what they were doing. They were doing. Right. Uh, and lastly, I have a few comics that I'm still late to the party on that I have been buying up but haven't read yet. So I'll just rattle those off real quick. Um, these were all popular or well-received at one point, and I haven't read them, but I am I am buying them and getting ready to. So one is Atari Force. I am now the proud owner of the complete run of Atari Force. Um, thanks to Rob, I have also been able to read the ones that came with the Atari cartridges. I've read those. Ooh, boy. Um, those, based on what I've read of the other series, those are not representative of what's in the other stuff. <laughs> Those are silly game cartridge comics Is what those are But Anyway Atari Force um, DC Comics Incarnation of Star Trek That was a good book
1: uh, I remember that That was a good book
0: I picked up like the first 20 of those I I, I specifically wanted to at least get to the mirror universe saga Because I hear those are just amazing So uh, I've been picking up trade paperbacks of Walt Simonson's Thor
1: Oh well That's Yeah
0: Yeah well I've read the first trade And it was great And I'm not really a Thor guy I'm really not and, I was this, never either,
1: but man, that, yeah, the Simonson stuff is.
0: Yeah, I've got like the first I don't know three or four trades, so I got to get to those. And I'm just now decided I want to start picking up those trades of John Byrne's Fantastic Four.
1: Those are you never read those? I've never read them. Oh, somebody once I I read somebody online one time described them as Doctor Who with a budget. Oh wow! And that is what they are. They are. He is just shooting for the moon sometimes, literally. Uh, in in those comics. they're just giant fun. Cosmic melodrama. Those are great. Those are those are like I think Burns' reputation was partly built on on that series, and it deserves it. That is a great run, great, great run. They're fantastic. I I bought those at at the time. Those were fantastic.
0: I like them. what you just said. That Burns' reputation was built on that. That's unfortunate because <laughs> yeah, doesn't. Well, I mean, he's, he's a
1: professional. His right. reputation,
0: not as, yeah. <laughs> His reputation. No, you said those words. <laughs> okay. Okay. Anyway. So, um, last thing we're going to do...
1: Wait, hold on one second. I just want to mention this before we get off, because you oh, mentioned sure. Atari Force, which was, of course, dra- drawn by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Praise be his name. Praise be uh, his name. Uh, you were a little slow on that one. Um, I was listening to an episode of um, uh, Views from the Long Box, and uh, they were doing... It was uh, Michael Bailey, and I, I'm sorry, I forget who his co-host was, but they were they were covering the greatest Superman stories ever told, mm-hmm. trade. And they get to – they get to a mention of Jose Luis Garcia Lopez and both of them, without missing a beat, go, praise be his name. Oh, my gosh. I was so happy to hear that. And they don't explain it. They didn't say what it was. I'd made me so happy to hear that, that we've added something <laughs> to the culture, to the podcast geek culture, that that's just part of – you have to say that now when you say his name. I hope that gets back to him at some oh, point. Oh, it's,
0: it's J. David Weeder.
1: Oh, is it? Oh, that was J. David? OK. All right. Yeah.
0: So I mean, both both Mike and JW uh, or J. David listened to this show. From well, I time know to that, time. right?
1: I forgot that that yeah. was J.D. because I was I didn't want to confuse him with the new his his podcast, the right. new advent, the new Fifty Two Adventures of Superman, which I also wanted to mention because they mentioned us on their latest episode. Oh, they did do it. Yes, they did.
0: Uh oh. They said we were the
1: cool guys. So. Oh, they
0: didn't say we were the, the sloppy delivery? No, and, uh... that wasn't
1: them. But <laughs> but anyway, I really hope that at some point the praise be his name gets back to Mr. Garcia Lopez.
0: <laughs> I tell you. He I want it.
1: somebody to tell him that.
0: <laughs> He's on Facebook. You can do it.
1: That's
0: right. <laughs> I, w- I uh, was finally. so happy to hear that. What's that? I was just so happy to hear that. So. No, that's fantastic. Yeah, Mike, Mike had written me that he really liked that phrase and how it was entering his own – Speech patterns, and you couldn't help it, it just because it's just so natural. It just, it just, it makes sense. Yep. <laughs> uh, and that comes from our Who's Who podcast, folks. If you're not listening to that, then you're dead inside. But finally, follow up. We're not going to get a chance to do. Well, we're not going to do listener feedback this time. We did a massive one last time. We're going to do. We're going to save it for future episodes. But we didn't answer completely one of the questions last time. One of the questions was what were our ideas for a, you know, company wide or, or big DC crossover. That would be centric around Firestorm. And we said, wow, you know, we just don't have time to go into that right now. So we thought we would talk about it now. And if Rob has done as much preparation as me for this segment, this is going to be completely off the top of our heads.
1: I did think of something. But it was like five minutes before we started recording. But I did think of something.
0: Good. You go first.
1: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> now, this sounds self-serving because it seems so obvious. But <laughs> I would – Uncle man. <laughs> That's exactly what I was going to say. And But this is the reason why. This is the reason why. I don't want to see um, – Arthur Jr. brought back into the Aquaman universe, like you know, it was a good part of the the original, you know, the the sort of Silver Age characters incarnation. The the Arthur having Arthur Jr. and then having lost Arthur Jr. I don't want to see them repeat it though. I don't want to see that done again. But I would like, but I like the angle of Aquaman and Mir being parents. I always thought that was one of the more interesting um, character features. That, that Are they, they gonna? they Are they going to,
0: adopt, they're going to adopt Ronnie? No,
1: but I like the idea of teaming him up with teenage superheroes, which would uh. give them a little bit of a parental kind of thing. Now, it's not as pronounced as it was in the old universe because the age difference is, is a lot less. I mean, you, you got the sense in the Silver Age universe that, you know, the, the – the, the JLAers were, like, in their 30s and 40s, or probably mostly in their 30s, while Firestorm was in his, like, you know teens. So there was right. a bigger difference. Now there's probably not as much of an age difference. But I'd like to see Aquaman and Mira put in that parental role. And there's not too many superheroes you could do that with that it wouldn't be a gaggle. I mean, you could do the Teen Titans, but then you're introducing, you know, like a half a dozen characters. I think it'd be kind of fun to have him team up with Firestorm and have him really, you know, come up with some plot device as to why he's he... he Learn. They learn that Firestorm is made up of two teenage boys. I think that'd be kind of fun to put them in that parental role without having to stick them with a kid in perpetuity. So I actually it, would genuinely there's, there's, like to see them team up
0: like that. There's um, precedent for that actually in Blackest Night. Mera, just out of the blue, it, it, it wasn't forced, but it was very sudden and kind of. And they didn't make a big deal about it. Mera became not paternal, but very protective. And sort of a support for Jason Rush's Firestorm.
1: That's right. That's right.
0: Um, especially when Jason's girlfriend died. You know, Mara was like, kind of like Jason's shoulder to cry on. And, and, and there's a few points in Blackest Night where Mara is just, he, she's there for him. And it was just, I saw a sort of a budding friendship there. You know, and I thought, you know, Jason should, you know, Aquaman's out of the picture. Hey, 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 hey. hey. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But no, it was, it was very much more like a, she was his sweet aunt right. sort of kind of relationship. Now that would be cool. I was thinking more. I kind of went the route of plot line rather than that, you know, interpersonal relationship. I was thinking, okay, well, you know, what do we know about Fars from the New Fifty Two? Well, we know he's you know, uh, nuclear n- n- nuclear power. There, I almost said that right. Almost. almost. is a, obviously every country uses nuclear energy, pretty much. You know, whether for energy, not bombs necessarily, but for energy, you got nuclear reactors that power. So a lot of countries do. So, and each one is a danger. You know, each one is a potential Chernobyl. So what if you get a character like Multiplex, who can split himself into multiple copies and could be all over the world at the same time, threatening nuclear reactors all over the world? Well, that suddenly becomes a Justice League-level threat. So I could see where you would have a chance for a bunch of books to cross over in that way, and you could also, and you could even tie it into this secret society they're building. You know, I don't know because they're 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 building a secret society of supervillains slowly but surely through the DC universe. There's been hints at it the last couple of months. So maybe you know, maybe multiplex is just part of this scheme. Maybe he's got other people he's working with. But you could that that is a, a, a global level threat where you could you know Superman could be dealing with Japan. And Batman could be dealing with I don't know Boston or Gotham or I guess Gotham would make more sense, you know.
1: <laughs> I like no, to see but, uh, a bunch of Boston townies yelling at Batman. <laughs> <laughs> Get,
0: you park your car. <laughs> wow. But um, anyway, but you know they could they could be all over the world dealing with, this, but it would be a, a, a storyline that could carry through to a lot of books. And, and, you know, maybe Firestorm becomes relevant in it because he can do some niche power move or whatever. You can – whatever you want to write, you can. I mean, let's just face it. Any writer can work a good story if they weave it through. So I just think that 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 would be an angle where you could work a a global – you know, a a DC-wide universe crossover. And personally, as far as books I would like to see involved, I would like to see the Justice League, classic era kind of satellite era folks books. So a Superman book, a Batman book, you know, a, a Green Arrow book, a Hawkman book. Um, Wonder, Woman? Wonder Woman, sure. Um, you know, maybe, uh, did I say Hawkman already? Yes. Yeah, okay. Maybe even Justice League Dark. I don't know. Probably not, because they're not really part of that family, but you get, you know, Zatanna's in there, things like that. So any any of those characters who are in sort of a classic run, uh, gosh, I wish the Atom was around nowadays. Oh, well. Oh, well, yeah, do. It's, well. It's the character is. Well, I know, but I wish the Atom was. Right. So, anyway, you could do, Flash could be tied into it, Green Lantern, Aquaman, all those characters could. That, that's how I would build a, a Firestorm-centric event, using the threat of nuclear destruction, you know. Mm-hmm. And if it, it wasn't Multiplex, maybe it could be Henry Hewitt or, um, you know, someone else who's sort of tied into big, dramatic nuclear threats. So, that's what I would do. Sounds good. So, there it's, we go. Firestorm. You do that. Yeah. Make that happen, Dan. I want to see that on my desk by Monday. <laughs> All right, folks. Well, that is going to wrap up this episode of Geek Talk for the Fire and Water Podcast. Uh, we didn't really delve that too far out of the comic book world, so hopefully none of you got you know shock or you know, culture shock. And we'll be back, I guess, soon?
1: Let's, let's not promise anything. <laughs>
0: Yeah, we'll be back soon. I mean, the goal is obviously to create you know, an episode a week with the occasional week off just so we can recharge our batteries and live a life and not constantly slave away for you
1: people. Yeah, all right, all right. Oh, God. <laughs> Another four star review coming our way.
0: <laughs> you kidding? I'm, I'm shooting for a two star. Anyway, okay. Real quick, all kidding aside. Really seriously, don't give us two stars for reviews, please. Like, <laughs> that's not the kind of help we need. I love a good joke as much as the next person. That's not the way to joke. <laughs> so, iTunes is very finicky. Please yeah. don't hurt her. Please don't hurt our ratings on iTunes. So,
1: before we wrap up, we should mention Pop Funk. Of course, you still get 10% off T-shirts, Aquaman and Firestorm T-shirts using the promo code Firewater10 now through the rest of January.
0: That's right. Firewater ten pop funks. Firestorm and Aquaman shirts. Woohoo! We got. We'll stick some some of that in the show notes again too, just so you guys see that. All right. With that, um, Rob, tell them where they can find our Tumblr and where they can email us.
1: Uh, you can. I'm gonna do an FDR voice because we're me and Darlin' Trace are going off to see Hyde Park on Hudson later on. <laughs> so <laughs> you can email us at FirewaterPodcast at comcast.net. That sounds like Sammy Davis Jr. Oh God, one. that was terrible. It's weird. It's turning I mean, into.
0: Sam I like Davis. your FDR impersonations, but, but that, that was a, like. That was an impersonation of Martin Short during the, doing that <laughs> impersonation or something. Anyway,
1: the, the Tumblr is fireandwaterpodcast.tumblr.com.
0: Great. And, folks, be sure to check out our sites aquamanshrine.com and firestormfan.com. You can find both of us on Twitter and Facebook. You can also find Firestorm Fan on Google Plus and Tumblr. And uh, till then, folks, let's fan the flame and ride the wave. All right. See you later, guys. Bye. Bye. Aquaman and Firestorm Fighting crime together Soak them down or burn them up No one does it better Whenever you find trouble They'll always be there To catch them in a bubble Or even torch their hair Stand for truth and justice See on land in air. Firestorm and Aquaman, they make a super pair. Aquaman
1: and Firestorm,
0: super friends forever.
1: Yeah! Okay. So,
0: remember the character man thing, the muck monster? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, I just was like. muck encrusted m- mockery of a man. Yes. And if there's one thing I know about Flanagan, he loves a giant sized man thing.